Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Pride or Die. I'm David Pike. I am part of the show, and I have with me a very special guest today. I have AJ Riley, who is the VP of Media Relations for DSN, but he also has his own show where he's the co-host, which is Beyond the Box. And so I'm just glad to have you here. How's it going today, AJ? You know, it's going well, man. I'm glad we're able to do this. I know Nick is traveling this week, so we needed somebody to fill in. You guys were off last week because you guys were both traveling because you guys apparently are world travelers. So I'm filling in this week, and then hopefully you guys will be back ready to go uh, with more Pride or Die next uh, yeah. next Monday. So Yeah, I'm just enjoying that uh, summer vacay and just having some fun, so... We're just we're just kind of getting our travels in and having a whole lot of fun this summer. Sure. You guys got uh, takes us. You were up here in Michigan, right, from your normal spot in Texas, correct? That is correct. I was in Michigan for about a week. I stayed up in Bertrand, but most of my time I stayed in the Burton Flint area because that's where my family and friends are at. Very nice. Very nice. Yep. So I mean, let's just get into it today. There's a couple of things. There's a couple of things worth talking about. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is we've been seeing a couple of news reports about overrated, underrated players on the Detroit Lions. So I just figured I'd ask your opinion. If you had an overrated and underrated player on the Lions currently right now, who would they be and why? It's interesting, right? Um, because when you have a team that went 3-13 and last season, it's hard to find somebody that you might think is overrated. Um, <laughs> however, however, digging through and looking through some things, and and I actually really like this guy a lot, and I think that he's going to be a very good player for us. But I was looking at some PFF grades, and, you know, they do their ranking system based on their grades. Well, would you believe that according to those rankings, Amon Rossi Brown was the 15th best receiver last year? I would believe it, especially based upon the fact that over those like last six or so weeks, like he just caught on fire. For sure he did. And for sure, like absolutely. Like I was targeting him in my fantasy league and was trying to make sure that I got him for my playoff push and all that because he was setting the world on fire. But I'm gonna I'm gonna label him as overrated, though I hate to use that term really, in the sense that he's only done it once, right? And so if he can continue to build on what he did over those last six weeks, if he can continue to do what he was doing and continue to just shoot up, you know, statistical leaderboards and, and help the team win, put putting stats from whatever position on the field he's playing, whether it's, you know, the number one guy, the number two guy, the slot guy, which I think he's actually probably going to thrive a lot better in the slot than he will on the outside, just my personal opinion. If he can continue to do that, then I would have no problem being like, no, he's not overrated. And I use that term very hesitantly. I hate the like black and white of <laughs> overrated because I really don't think that he's an, oh, I think he's a great player and I'm really glad that he's on our team. But I, I don't, I'm a little bit hesitant to say that he's the 15th best wide receiver in all of football right now. That's yeah. why I would put him there. That's why I would say, you know, I, like, let me see a little bit more from Amon Ra before I I give him that, you know, top 20 in the NFL. No, I, I get it. I mean, if you're just going based off of the rankings, then yeah, he would fall into that category. But it's like, dude, he was a rookie. 
He's played for one year. Some guys got, sometimes guys will catch lightning in a bottle and they're good for a year or two. And then they just completely fall off the face of the earth. I get that whole thought process with, um, and I, I, again, I'll agree with you to a certain degree. It's like, listen, I would like to see more before we throw Amon Ross St. Brown into that top of the echelons for wide receivers. Right. Um, I'll just say this, my overrated player. Um, I know a lot of Lions fans are probably not going to like this, but I think it's Jamal Williams, the running back behind DeAndre Swift. And here's the reason why. I love Jamal Williams. I love his energy, his charisma, his leadership. I love all that to the team. But past that, what else does he really do? I mean, last year, just like DeAndre Swift, he was out for a good majority of the games, whether it was with injury or COVID. He's not that prolific of a runner. He does have the ability to run between the tackles and pick up yardage. He had over 600 yards last year. But is he really that dynamic of a player that he could not be easily replaced by, say, a Craig Reynolds, who is directly right behind him, who has much of the same skill set that Jamal Williams has? And so in my mind, it's like, listen, I love Jamal Williams. I love what he does for the team. I love his energy, his vibe. I love all of that. But it's like, listen. When I look at him, I don't necessarily see an irreplaceable player. I don't see a guy that if he was here one day and gone the next, it wouldn't make that much difference. Sure, there would be a lot of guys that'd be a little a little sad about him leaving because of the vibe he gives to the team. But overall, his talent level, his ability to contribute to the team, that is not irreplaceable. So in my mind, that's why I call him overrated. But why would you call him overrated, though? Like, what are people saying? They're making you think that they think the world of Jamal Williams. Like, he's a backup running back. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, he's not the best running back in the NFL. He's no oh, DeAndre Swift. So, why would we consider him overrated? You think he should be lower than Craig Reynolds on the depth chart? Like, well, depth see, chart only? Well, see, here's the thing. If you go back to last year, even when DeAndre Swift could play, Jamal Williams was always listed as the starter, even though he, in theory, is the backup to DeAndre Swift. He was starting almost every single game. Now, some people could say that was because DeAndre Swift wasn't fully healthy. They were putting him on a pitch count, so on and so forth. But the thing is, I've also had conversations with people where they're like, oh, well, you could trade Jamal Williams for like a late second rounder or a third rounder. And I'm like, I mean, he's still got value as a running back, don't get me wrong, but this is a guy that's starting to creep up into the upper 20s and running backs start losing their, um, what's the word, effectiveness, their value, so to speak, to teams once they hit that 30 mark. There's very, very few running backs that we have seen ever in the history of the NFL that have been effective after that 30-year-old mark because at that point, your body just doesn't have the same uh, same zeal in it, so to speak. You kind of start slamming for sure, down. For sure. And I'm not saying that Jamal Williams doesn't have value or that he is that he is a whatever kind of running back. I'm not even saying that Craig Reynolds should be higher than him on the depth chart. I'm just simply stating that if you look at Jamal Williams and Craig Reynolds' example, I think those two you could interchange and you're not going to miss much of a beat is what I'm saying. I'm saying if Craig Reynolds were to take over for Jamal Williams, was there going to be that much of a drop-off? No, not in my opinion as far as production is concerned because Craig Reynolds came in last year, and he had a 115-yard rushing game, and he had an 80-plus rushing game, and that was, in, that was in total relief mode. If he were to come in and be the secondary running back, I think he'd have the same amount of production as Jamal Williams. And at this point, 
I don't think he cost as much as Jamal Williams either. Cause right now Jamal Williams is making what, like three and a half, almost $4 million. Craig Reynolds is not even going to ask for a quarter of that right now because he's a nobody in essence. That's just my thought process. Yeah. It's just looking, you know, statistically though, Jamal and DeAndre, their statistics are identical. Same amount yeah. of games, nearly the same amount of attempts, 153, 151. Mm-hmm. Swift had 16 more yards, two more touchdowns, <laughs> and only averaged 0.2 more yards per no, game. And, and I know exactly. You're looking at their, their season statistics for last year. Right. I will say this. Let me, let me put to you this question. Who's the more dynamic and electrifying runner? Is that Swift or is that Williams? Well, I think you got two, you know, two different styles of running in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, Swift is is more of kind of that speed athlete, shifty. Uh, he could drop the boom if he needs to, right? I mean, he's he's I like Swift, and that's actually gonna get into the the B part of this question <laughs> for me. But 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 saying that like their the running styles are just I mean, Jamal Williams is a downhill runner, but he's also yes. An effective pass catcher, ninety-two percent catch rate. He had he had twenty-six receptions on twenty-eight targets last year. So I mean, he he's effective. He now he's not catching the ball for many yards. DeAndre Swift is much more dynamic in that regard, which is why he should be. You know, he always should be slotted in number one on the depth chart, um, because they're not the same running back. They don't bring the same things to the table. I just was throwing that out there as like. Well, we're talking about Jamal, but his numbers are identical to a guy who I think, to answer the second part of your question, is actually the more underrated, and that's DeAndre Swift. Yeah, and I, I think agree. that I think that he is somebody that is very dynamic, that brings a lot to the table for the Detroit Lions. We, we talk about three down backs in the NFL. And DeAndre Swift legitimately could be and probably should be a three-down back. I'm not a huge fan of the third-down specialist running back because that makes your already predictable offense that much more predictable. So when you have a guy like a DeAndre Swift who can line up in the backfield and who can run routes, it can make catches and you know can get you 500 yards over the season of production in the passing game. Mm-hmm. That's important to me. That's effective to me. And, you know, there was, I forget what the statistic was, but people were starting to take notice of DeAndre Swift last year because of his pass catching ability. And I think he was, wasn't he like the leading receiver on the team for like the first like six or seven games, probably? Uh, well, because they were struggling to they throw the ball. Well, who right. else could they throw it to? And, and that's, that's the point, right? They're, they're struggling to throw the ball. So, you know, him bringing that time that type of uh dynamic aspect to the team i think puts him in a category where people might not be knowing exactly what he can bring to the table but they're about to be put on notice and so i would i would label him as our underrated player and and to to kind of piggyback off your point i agree that deandre swift is underrated because like you said there's a lot of people out there they look at deandre swift and they say hey this guy's very dynamic. He's explosive. He's electric. He can literally go zero to 60, no dump time flat. But the biggest hit that everyone comes back with DeAndre Swift is, can he stay healthy? That's right. the biggest knock he always it gets is. is like, 
hey, the skill is there. The talent is there. It's discernible from a lot of other running backs, but the injury bug keeps biting him in the butt every single year. And it's like, I'm hopeful that when he was in the gym with his pops this offseason and getting ripped all, you know, where and back, that that will fix that problem in a quick hurry. Now, uh, and uh, but that's the thing, right? Deuce Staley, the running backs coach, was obviously also having conversations with him about, oh, okay, are you hurt or are you injured? Let's understand exactly. the difference between the two and know, you know, which, like, which is which and what is what. Right. And, and I think that that's an important distinction for DeAndre to, to make. You know, sometimes you're injured and you just can't play, but everybody in the NFL is hurting the entire season. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's inevitable to get nicked up or banged up at some point in the NFL season. But when I was playing in college and high school, I was like, listen, is anything broke? Can you still move or is it just a stinger? Is it's just a stinger? Right. Get your butt back out there and go make plays. Right. So yeah. I, I get that argument. I totally do. Now, my underrated player, um, you already know where this is going, so I'm not, I'm going to let your snide comments go, is Jared Goff. And the reason why I say he's underrated is because, as we were having a previous conversation, PFF ranked him 31st in the league. And it's like, listen, I get the jokes. I get the comments. I get the, the under-the-breath comments. He's just a bridge quarterback. I get it. I've heard it all. But when I look at what Jared Goff had to work with last year for the most part, like you said, DeAndre Swift was the leading receiver because pretty much past him, we didn't really have anybody else except maybe TJ Hawkinson for the majority of the year. And yet Jerry Goff still finished tying the franchise record for completion percentage. He still finished with a two to one touchdown interception ratio. And over the last six games of the year, when he was a starter, they finished three to one. So it's like, okay, last year, the, the talent on this team was just poo-poo. We'll just call it what it was. It was not very good offensively, whether it was because we just didn't have the players or they were injured. But if you take a look now and you fast forward a whole offseason, the offensive line, it's fully healthy. It's already getting work. The wide receiver core is night and day difference in terms of talent and depth as from what we had last year. We still have DeAndre Swift. We still have Jamal Williams. Ben Johnson actually looks like he's going to work with Jared Goff rather than in spite of him like Anthony Lynn kind of did last year with the play calling and design. And it seems like Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, they have put all these resources into making Jared Goff work. It's just like, okay, I take a look at that and I just don't see how Jared Goff cannot even have the same season he had last year. If anything, I th like I've said, I think he has a really good year because of all the investment into the offense they put into it. So one way you could put it is like, I just by necessity and proxy, I'm just saying, listen, he's underrated because there's no way he does nearly what he did last year. He should do leaps and bounds ahead of what he did last year. That's my reasoning. Should. Let me, let me, I'll start my <laughs> response by asking you this. Sure enough. Week one, what looks different about that wide receiver room? Week one. What? Well, you don't have a guy in Terrell Williams that's getting injured in quarter three of the first game of the season. You've got more than just Quintess Cephas. You've got DJ Chark. You've got Josh Reynolds that's already on the sidelines and not playing with the Titans. St. Brown is already fully established. And you've also got this new guy that we picked up last year that's starting to catch on in Trinity Benson, potentially also making that roster. So instead of just having 
one or two guys deep, you're like three, four, five guys deep. So what, okay. So where I was going with this was from the end mm -hmm. of last season to week one of this season, really the, the bigger difference or the, the biggest change is Chark, right? It's not Jameson Williams because the, the talk is that he's not going to be ready week one, right? No. And I, so I what a, that. right. So you would think that golf would have leaps and bounds of a better year than what he had last year. Just because, yes, you're right. They did invest in, you know, they brought Chark and they, they drafted, they traded up to draft Jameson Williams. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if he's going to be able to. And, and the question for me is, okay, can you really, do we have to tap the brakes a little bit and not make a judgment on golf until Jameson Williams is fully healthy? Or do we just look at these two years combined and say like, well, we did upgrade and one wide receiver is not going to make the difference one way or the other. And he and just is what he is because like, I seriously question, and I'm not trying to be negative here. I just seriously <laughs> question his ability to get the ball into the playmaker's hands, especially if he doesn't have, um, a solid run game to play action pass off of and, and, and misdirect the defense because when he went to the Super Bowl, he had the best running back in the league at the time, which I know from playing quarterback, and I know you know from being a football fan and an analyst and, and all the time that you spent running games open up your passing game in the same way that a passing game can also open up your running game. So I just wonder, since he hasn't had Todd Gurley, he's not been that same quarterback. I wonder if he can do it. The I just I'm just putting a question mark on it. That's the only thing. I'm not going to say that he's. I don't think he's a savior of the franchise. I will go on record and say that. But I also <laughs> will will tap the brakes a little bit and be like, okay, we'll see, we'll see. Personally, my opinion, he's not the guy. They need to move on. Like with a younger quarterback because the rebuild is going to take longer than Jared Goff has. Well, I'll say this. It's a fair question to ask. It truly is because at the end of the day, the NFL is a prove it league. The NFL is it. show me what you can do, not tell me what you can do. And here's the thing. You do bring up a valid point in 2018 when they went to the Super Bowl. Todd Gurley was the best running back in the league at the time. And I will say this. That whole game against the Patriots, there was a lot more going on in the background there than just, oh, well, golf just had a bad game. Well, the running game couldn't get going because Todd Gurley was still dealing with an injury. There were, there were wide receivers that were having problems getting open, dropping passes. The Patriots' defense, for whatever reason, just completely shut down the prolific offense of the Rams. There was a bunch of other things going on. Was it golf's best game? Absolutely not. But I do understand the question you're bringing up of, okay, let's tap the brakes a little bit and let's just ask the question. I get that. I will say this, to go back to your DeAndre Swift question, or your statement, I should say, should he stay healthy? Should he find a way for that light bulb to just click on and find a way to stay healthy? Kind of like what Matthew Stafford did the first two or three years he was in the league. He couldn't stay healthy. And then over the last 10, 11 years, he's turned into the Iron Man of the league. Like he hardly if ever comes out of games. If he should somehow find that ability 
and become that more of a three down back that is so dynamic that we expect him to be, then I think the answer leans more towards, yes, golf can do that. Because as you said, having a three down back, you can, you can disguise and you can overlook a lot of what teams are looking at as, oh, well, this is a passing situation. This is a running situation, so on and so forth. But I also think um, while golf does work well in play action, he does also have the ability to work well out of other other sets and other schemes within certain offenses. Again, we'll have to see what happens, but I'll say this, and just to kind of go with your point here is that this is the year for Jared Goff, as a lot of people are saying, is the put up or shut up here. If he can put it up, if he can actually say, listen, now that I've got the, now that I've got the supporting cast, now that I have all the players around me and I can put it up there, then this conversation is completely different. If he doesn't, then it's like, okay, fine. We can just, we can close the chapter, close the book on Jared Goff. And as you said, go out and find a younger quarterback because again, the drafting, the drafting cycles, there's always going to be at least one or two quarterbacks every year you could possibly go after. I just think that based upon the talent he has around him, based upon the investment the Lions have made in him, I think he has a good shot this year. But as the saying goes, we shall wait and we shall see. That's the biggest thing, right, is you just want to see, right? He, sure, tied the franchise record for completion percentages, but we know that, you know, at the beginning of the season, I don't think the ball traveled much over five to eight yards. Not at the beginning of the season. You're tired, At the beginning like, of the season. At the end but, of the season, it did, and, and I'll give credit where credit's due, right? Much better at the end of the season. So it, it is. It's 100%, like you said. It's a wait and see. Let's see. Yeah. And... I just, I, I just won't be surprised if in the 2023 draft, if they're looking for a quarterback and maybe that's someone that golf can play in front of so that they have a year. Cause I've never a proponent of starting a rookie quarterback right off the bat. Nine times out of 10, that never works very well. No, no, it does not. So maybe we'll see. We'll see. But with that, let's move into our next conversation, and we're actually going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about the principal owner of the Lions, and that being Sheila Hamp. And the reason I bring this up is because in a recent one-on-one sit-down that she had with Danny Rogers, she was kind of talking about her desire, her motivation, so to, so to speak, about why she wants to win and why she's the owner of the Lions. And if you sit down and you watch that seven-minute or so interview, it's a real big eye-opener because... I mean, as we've all, as Lions fans all know, it seems like with the Fords, the Fords only really care about the Fords first. Like, they've always been about making money through the automotive business and everything else in the line and just kind of like a, a hanger-on, so to speak. So my question is, is do you think that Sheila is no longer within that kind of Ford-first mindset that she's actually about wanting to make the Lions into a perennial winning organization? What do you think? I mean, we could take what we just said about Jared Gold and apply it to this right here. <laughs> I get it. I, I get the skepticism when it comes to the Fords. It, it's not even. It's not even that. It, it would be the same thing as if you know Mark Cuban said that if he owned one of our teams, or you know if I was a Mavericks fan. It sounds good, and it's a company answer in a lot of ways. Like, what owner of a team is going to be like? Yeah, I don't care if we win. <laughs> Nobody would say that. 
I just show up for the paycheck. It's basically what, you know, if they don't say that they want to win, they're just saying, I, I show up for the paycheck. So it sounds good. Let me see what you're going to do about that. Oh, and I, and, 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 and so I'm, so is it different than what we've heard? I don't know because I never really paid attention to what the Ford said because I always just felt like they were, you know, whatever. I don't even know how to describe. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's just, they just were right. They just were the owners of the, the lines. That's it. And um, I get that. I, I truly I, do. But I will say, but I will say this, uh, she seems like she's more open-minded to attempting to win as opposed to when the, uh, not Martha, but the previous owner, was it William Clay? Yeah. William Clay Ford. I, I think he was still around during the Matt Millen era. And I was at like, uh, a bowl game that like the motor city bowl or at whatever game they played at Ford field. And it was like right at the end of Millen's tenure. And they were like fire Millen signs all over the place. Mm-hmm. And they literally removed fans from the stadium saying you can't hold signs up like that because apparently free speech didn't exist inside of Ford Field at that time. And so that attitude, like this is what we're doing, don't question da 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 da, as opposed to like what Martha is, you know, seemingly trying to do does seem a little bit different. I mean, look, she stood there at the Calvin Johnson thing and got booed like crazy. Yeah, and she laughed. You remember that? She laughed laughed it off. And she was like, you know, so she's taking it in stride, kind of like, okay, we've kind of created this mess and distrust in ourselves. So, you know, I think she's got the right guys in there, like Holmes and Campbell, to, to try to turn the ship a little bit, and she's letting them do their job. I think when we're talking about Sheila versus her mother, Martha, and versus her father, William, I think Sheila kind of understands that the problem with the lions has been stemmed back through her parents and that there's this this stigma of, we just don't care. We are just here to make money. And what Sheila is trying to do is like, listen, no, we want to win. We have seen how this city has been beaten up, taken its lumps over the last 20-something years, 0-16. Megatron retiring, Stafford leaving, all of the lumps that you could possibly take. And it's like, listen, we're tired of that stigma. We want to win. And that's why I think all the stuff that's happened this offseason, such as getting getting aggressive in the draft, going and getting Jamison Williams, making sure that they could get the draft selection in 2024 for the city of Detroit, being a part of hard knocks. They are trying desperately to be like, listen, This is a completely different type of Detroit Lions team and organization. We're about winning. We're about being successful. So in my mind, that also kind of goes back to the symbolic gesture that Sheila did when she dropped the Ford name from the Ford title from her name. And she went from being Sheila Ford Hamp to just Sheila being Sheila Hamp. She's like, listen, I'm my own individual here. I am about winning. I am about success. I want to see the Lions be a successful team, which is why she's got a guy like Dan Campbell, who falls from that Bill Parcells tree of no nonsense. We are going to go out and we are going to win. So when I take a look at all that, the the attitude, the mindset is different from the top. And from the top, it goes down to the bottom of, listen, we are here to win. No more excuses. We're here to win. So I like what I'm seeing. But as you said, wait and see. 
Yeah, and I, I to your point, I think that those things that they are doing, getting the draft, going on hard, like those are show me kind of things, right? So that that's good. And well, and at that point, you're for the sake of every Lions fan that wears the Honolulu blue and has drank the Kool Aid more than they want to admit. Yeah, for their sake, I hope it's different. Well, I mean, when you're talking about hard knocks and you're talking about the draft, at that point, you're not just selling it to your own fan base. You're selling it to the NFL. You have to That's sell correct. yourself, your team, your product to the NFL. And the NFL is that at that point investing right. in you. Yes. So if the NFL is willing to say, we like what we're seeing out of the Lions, we're willing to put that investment in them, that tells me that there is a definite shift in culture, a definite shift in attitude in Allen Park and in Detroit. So I like what I see. I like what I hear. So let's move in to, I think we got time for one more topic. And this topic is going to be one that hits a lot of uh, old, old softies for Detroit Lions fans. We currently are sitting on about $10 million in cap space, which not great, but not bad. But there's one player out there that a lot of Lions fans would love to see come back and don the Honolulu blue and silver. Nandama Sue is still out there as a free agent. So I got to ask you the question. What do you think? Do you think the Lions should go out and grab him? Do you think they have a chance to grab Nandama Sue to come back? <laughs> Listen, I and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, the player that Sue was and the type of defenses that he anchored are the type of defenses that we need in Detroit. And when he was doing all of his stuff here in Detroit, I loved it, actually. <laughs> and the reason why I loved it, not for the fact that, like, he's stomping on players' arms and stuff like that, which, truthfully, like, I, at one point, he tripped over the guy and stepped on it. Like, he, tri- it wasn't blatant. You could tell it wasn't blatant, but still got the flag because of the reputation. I get all that. But I kept saying, this is the type of player we need in Detroit because we need the bad boys. The Pistons had their run with the bad boys. The Lions, if they want to shift culture, that's how the Pistons shifted it back in the early 90s. Why shouldn't the Lions just come out there with all the swagger? Like, if you want to beat us, you got to take our lunch too. And they couldn't with Ndamukong Sue. Would I love to see that back? I, I actually would. And do I think the Lions should do it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's he's he can be a good interior defensive lineman. He can be the type of guy that can kind of show Pascal, right, or Pascal the ropes, um, can kind of bring, you know, mentor, even though you might not want him to mentor too much, like your younger defensive players that you brought into the draft. The question is, do they have a chance? And Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe my memory is like deceiving me, but I don't remember it ending very well. And I, the, you talking I, about I, the relationship with Sue and the Lions? Right. Yeah. The way I remember it, and again, my memory could be a little bit fuzzy here because it was so many years ago. At the time, the Lions were having cap issues because they were trying to retain a lot of high knee players. Sue was one of them at the time. And Sue was not only looking for the money, he was looking for the large media market. And that was part, that was part of the problem because Detroit's just not a large media market, not like Miami or New York or Los Angeles. Those places have huge media buys and huge media markets. So 
I believe at the time the Lions offered him a contract, but it just wasn't number one as lucrative as what Miami was going to offer him. And the market buy just wasn't as big as what it would have been in Miami. So I don't think the relationship itself with the Lions was a tenuous one. I just think Sue just was like, listen, I'm making a business decision here. I want to make sure I get my money and I want to make sure I have something to invest in into the future. And obviously at the same time, a couple of years later down the road and he went to play with the Bucks, he got a Super Bowl ring. So at this point, what is Ndamukong Sue's motivation? Well... You could say it's to go and get another Super Bowl win, which is probably why he's still sitting on the free agent market, maybe. Or he's just looking to get another decent paycheck. He's looking for the money. Now, here's the thing. $10 million, way, man. $10 million is nothing to sneeze at as far as salary cap because you could still give a lucrative contract with that much cap space. The question is, is that Brad Holmes is going to be willing to dole out that last little bit to go and get him? I am inclined to believe not because Brad Holmes is a tactician that likes to play chess with other GMs. He's like playing two or three moves ahead of everybody. So I would love to see Sue come back because you're right. I would love that tenacity, that ferociousness he had and translate that to our defensive line. But at the same time, when I take a look at our young guys, such as Josh Pascal, Levi Onzerike, Aiden Hutchinson, I'm not saying I see that same level of Sioux tenacity, but these guys are still very tenacious. They're still very ferocious. They want to prove themselves. So would it be nice to see Sioux come back? Yes, it would. But is it necessary? Is it something that we should bank our hopes on? Absolutely not. Well, and here's the thing, though, right? Sue is probably very much a Dan Campbell type player. Oh, he so said he loved playing for Dan Campbell in Miami. He said that was his favorite coach. So, I mean, maybe, I, listen, I'm not trying to get hopes up. I, like, <laughs> I I hadn't even honestly thought about it until we started talking about this show. Um, but look, I'm always for people returning back to their roots to end their careers. I'm, I, you know, I also dabble with some Tiger stuff here at Detroit Sports Nation, and there's nothing more that I hope and wish and pray for every day than that Justin Verlander next year signs with the Tigers to end his career with Detroit. But, you know, so I'm always for that. Do I think it's a very high probability? No, I don't. But it would be cool. I always liked Sue. Always yeah, liked it would be, he played. It'd be amazing if he would come back. But again, beggars can't be choosers. So I don't think it would happen. But it's it's nice to have a pipe dream. It's nice to have a fairy tale ending. Yep. But all right, folks, we have reached the end of our allotted time for the day. So I'm just going to say thank you for watching yet another episode of Pride or Die with my special guest, AJ Riley. Make sure to tune into his show, Beyond the Box, where he co-hosts. So with that, folks, we will see you at our next allotted time next week. And until then, Pride or Die.